1: Welcome, everyone, to DJ Simulation is to sup. You're with Janice Palaganis.
0: And Dan Raymer. Sup, Janice. What's up? Pretty much.
1: All right, so Dan, what I really want to talk about today is educating educators, what we do on a daily basis.
0: Okay, educators squared. Yeah, good.
1: Educators squared. And I think that we both have had some recent experience personal experiences that apply to educating educators and i thought we could talk a little bit about those kind of fun personal experiences and talk about um what it's like to educate educators
0: uh that sounds fine to me but um you'll have to tell me what my own personal experience <laughs> is i'm not sure I will, where I you're will, going I here
1: <laughs> well but first i think we should talk about what is educating educators and what we do okay And um, why don't can you start off with that?
0: Um, Yeah, so I think uh, most of us in healthcare uh, were trained in a particular discipline, uh, be it a, you know, surgical nursing or an emergency physician or a bioengineer or a respiratory therapist. And in the course of that, we got taught many things, but we never got taught about education about teaching and then suddenly at some point we're asked to teach others and the way most people do that is to kind of uh, filter through all the teaching they've received and try to pick what they think worked the best for them and they go forth. But there's really no formal education, there's no theory behind it, uh, there's no evidence-based Uh, uh, behind the way that most people, uh, most people teach. And so it turns out that uh, there's a world of those sorts of data and best practices and theories that um, can be quite helpful at making one a better educator. And so Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, exposing people to those principles and Teaching them to teach, giving them feedback on their teaching, um, uh, can really sharpen up uh, an already good teacher into a fantastic teacher.
1: And I think the problem that we face as educators of students, learners, practitioners, is um, we all teach the way that we were taught. And research is showing that it's just not as effective as other methods and so I think learning what those more effective methods are and trying to deconstruct the way we were taught the you know our mental models of what teaching should be like and what it is um, and experiencing and getting feedback in those experiences of effective kind of deep learning so Dan you are now grandfather
0: yes (laughs) Yes, my uh, 25-year-old daughter who graduated college and has moved back into our home uh, is, uh, you know, working on uh, a combination of a job and an advanced degree, and she decided that she needed to get a puppy. And so uh, (laughs) she has a close friend whose mother is a breeder of uh, golden retrievers and uh, she um, uh, she got one of them promptly told me that uh, uh, this summer while I can spend quite a bit of my time working remotely uh, would be dedicated to taking care of this puppy because she had to go to work, <laughs> and so I have been uh, uh, somewhat uh, volunteered to take care of the puppy. And so she she went to um, puppy class at the you know the local uh, animal hospital. And uh, there's a wonderful teacher, and we're teaching this puppy to behave. And uh, it's so fascinating being you know, an educator of educators and thinking at the level of a puppy, kind of how that goes. (laughs)
1: Uh Uh-huh. Well, you, the reason I think it's so interesting and it ties to what we do is you shared with me a quote that your educator who's educating you, who will then educate your grandson puppy, um, and would you share that quote? And I'm wondering if you have thoughts about how that relates with what we do.
0: So um, so the technique is all positive feedback. And so when I had a dog as a child and learned about taking care of dogs, you know, it was a combination of the carrot and the stick. If the dog did something bad, you would scold the dog. If the dog did something good, you would reward the dog. And that didn't work so well when I think about it, when I think about how I can never could quite get my dog to uh, behave all the time. Um, and, uh, and so the, the, the latest technique is to give um, all positive feedback. When the dog misbehaves, uh, you just turn your back and ignore the dog. And you don't ever use their name. You don't want them to associate their name with bad behavior. You only want But
1: isn't turning your back negative feedback? Uh,
0: I guess it is in a mild way. It's generic negative feedback. But, you know, dogs aren't really great at language, and so discriminating between good boy and bad boy um, isn't something that they really have in their arsenal. The negative feedback of um, just not paying attention to them uh, is... I guess, yeah, I guess it is sort of negative feedback, not verbal, though.
1: Well, so I think that's interesting because I think it ties back to our previous episode of when we talked about feedback, positive and negative, and different levels of the learners and if that would apply to our learners. You know, if they're more novice, if they're um, pre-licensure learners, meaning they don't have their degree yet, do you do more positive feedback I guess smoother negative feedback, neutralize your negative feedback. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, uh, so I haven't applied my puppy learnings to my um, healthcare uh, <laughs> professional learnings uh, uh, quite yet. But but I do think there is a very strong tendency to um, to to be critical um, to try to soften the critical feedback by being vague, um, that a lot of feedback is given as part of a sandwich. and uh, uh, it's couched in lots of kind of words to try to soften the blow. And, and I don't think that's, uh, um, I don't think that's very effective. Uh-huh. Uh, I think being, you know, being very transparent and straightforward with people. The criticism, you know, doesn't have to be about them as a person. It can be about the behavior or the action that they took. Um, mm-hmm. And so that doesn't comport with my puppy learning, because uh, I guess if somebody gives the wrong dose of atropine, um, that you should just, turn your back and walk away um, uh, if you were in puppy class but somehow we feel compelled to say "I notice you gave the wrong dose of uh, uh, or I notice you gave a dose of uh, atropine uh, of a gram Uh, I uh, thought the uh, the dose was half a milligram Um, tell me about that. Um, uh-huh. and, and so I, I, I think giving that feedback in a way that is curious um, and, uh, and straightforward is really advantageous. Um, but I do think that we can give a lot more positive feedback about positive behaviors. We can even give positive feedback about negative behaviors, you know, that you were being resourceful and that you uh, knew you had to do something. And so that's a good thing. Uh, the dose is wrong and could be dangerous and so let's work on that and so looking
1: at the aspects of what was good about what they did yeah talking about that as well as the the errors
0: yeah so I think there's always good in whatever people do because their intentions are good they're trying to solve the problem they're trying to take good care of the patient Um, and so I think they're you know you can always find some very legitimate and sincere things to uh, to praise people about um, uh, and still be very direct about the critical feedback.
1: I have to call myself on this. I asked you a guess-what-I'm-thinking question because that was actually not the quote I was thinking about in your uh, puppy class. I was <laughs> thinking about the quote where you had said that, and I don't know what the exact words were, but... We're at, we actually have to train the owners, not the dog. Right. Okay, do. You, what was the actual? Uh,
0: so I don't remember the quote exactly, but um, uh, it wasn't the teacher that said that. It was my daughter uh, oh. uh, who maybe heard it from the teacher, and she was trying to encourage me to come to puppy class with her because she realized <laughs> that I was operating at <laughs> cross purposes to her <laughs> training and so awesome. I like to uh, play with the dog and roughhouse with the dog and um, uh, you know I, I, I talk to it in ways that um, you know make me feel good but the dog clearly doesn't understand them uh, but I, I'm fine about that and so I was kind of detraining the dog from all of the things that she was doing
1: uh-huh.
0: and uh and so she was trying to entice me to go to puppy class and the quote that she there what she said was um uh it's not for Mowgli the name of our dog uh this is for you dad I need you to come to puppy class because we need <laughs> to train the owner and the grandfather
1: Training the people, not the puppy.
0: Right. And so, yeah, so she was talking about training the educator, uh, because I'm now one of the educators of the dog. And uh, um, I have to say it's been miraculous, because I'm only a few days post-puppy class, and I've got the dog doing things that I could never imagine the dog would do.
1: So I see, and I think this is really applicable to what we do, because I just see educating educators, A, as being a true honor, and and B, as having more of an outreach in terms of creating um, environments for effective deep learning, because... Education, it really relies on the educator. It's yeah. so interesting. It's, yeah. like the, it's the number one variable in in the learning. And, you know, you can create the best teaching note and, uh, you know, get the students together. But if the educator hasn't been trained to, um, you know, put the learners first and all the things that we kind of talk about in our course, that the learning is not going to be as good as when your puppy is with Maggie, your daughter. <laughs> yes.
0: So, so I think what's so fascinating about this is that in uh, that in my own arrogance, I guess I had the idea that um, uh, you know this was all pretty common sense, and that I could figure out how to train the dog and I could just watch my daughter and pick up on the things she was trying to do and and figure them out and it was a perfect example of I didn't know what I didn't know
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and when I went to puppy class and watched the instructor and listened to her I had all kinds of realizations about why? What I had been doing was wrong, and why there was a much better way to educate this dog that would be uh, that would be effective, and the results have just proven that the the, the dog is is a great measure.
1: <laughs> well, I, so I think this ties into why I'm so passionate about this topic right now, because I think. You know, we, we the entire world of education keeps saying experiential learning, experiential learning, and, you know, they ha- there needs to be an experience tied into the cycle of learning and all sorts of things. Yet, I think we often ignore that the educators, the people that are running the activities, should also go through that type of experience they need to go through that type of experience to become better educators and um and and learn from it and see what the struggles are before they could actually effectively teach
0: yeah pretty much everybody who goes through our course which i think is meant to be quite experiential says says what you just articulated that you know the experience of being in a simulation, of getting feedback on their debriefing, um, uh, of teaching others about debriefing, giving others feedback about their debriefing—all um, of those things um, just opens up worlds uh, for people to be better educators. And and without that experience, just hearing about it, just reading about it, um, just doesn't get you there.
1: So it's interesting because I feel like I'm just learning this in my personal life as well. And um, as you know, I do CrossFit. Yes. And I am. I have to give you a little background in that. It's kind of my new big movement um, in terms of the policy of healthcare and 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 what healthcare looks like today is uh, kind of my passion about CrossFit. So my my husband and I own a CrossFit gym, as you know, Dan, and I think the reason that we invested in it is because, for me at least, I'm looking to explore a different type of primary care model, because for me, patients are already sick when they see their primary care provider. It's like years and years or weeks of sickness, and, and it's not primary care, it's sick care, And primary care to me starts on a daily basis, what you eat, what you do on a daily basis. I think in terms of CrossFit, what's been interesting is kind of really understanding the philosophy of it and not just CrossFit in general, but just the the philosophy of constantly varying yourself um, so that you're ready for that injury or you're ready to become patient. Because when I think back to when I worked as a trauma nurse practitioner, the patients that came in you know they were all it was never an intended event but was their body in the right condition to be able to fight off what they're about to encounter in the next few weeks of their lives and so it's it's been interesting because in terms of keeping patients safe i feel like i started with you know working in the clinical setting and realizing that simulation is a much more proactive approach to keeping patients safe, because now we can do simulation. But I'm starting to realize that growing our practice, because I essentially see our gym as growing practitioners, growing people that are going to be educating the community on how to be healthy and safe and watching them struggle through it and, and understand form and understand health. And they're the ones that are going to be in the house with their, Grandmother, whatever, and be able to correct. Okay, you shouldn't be doing that way. You're going to get injured, or this is not good for you. They're the ones that are going to be kind of the primary care practitioners, and I'm just starting to realize that we ourselves have this kind of bigger role as educators, practicing what we do, and we have to understand it ourselves, and we have this bigger impact in creating that kind of secondary tier of knowledge
0: so i've heard you talk about crossfit many times but i don't know exactly what it is so i have this mental image of a bunch of very strong uh, muscular people lifting a lot of weights but uh, apparently it's much more than that so could you tell me a little bit about what it's like
1: yeah, it's not, uh, I think, what the general public thinks. It, it's, the definition of CrossFit is constantly varied functional movement executed at high intensity. So the point is that if you think about the, the fittest person on that you know, most people will think of like this runner that runs every day and does miles and miles of running. Yet that person can take a luggage, put it overhead, a heavy luggage, and get injured because they're not practicing constantly varied movement. And so what the philosophy of CrossFit is that you do different workouts and you maintain different parts of your body to strengthen every area so that your body, whether it's cardiorespiratory or muscular, you're ready for any injury that comes your way. And so we've got, um, you know, we've got 60-year-olds in our gym. We've got 10-year-olds in our gym. And what we really practice is functional movement. But what we do do is make sure that they scale it to their highest intensity because you have to stress your body to get stronger um, and kind of build those movements.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Uh huh. So that is a little different than I, uh, than than I thought of it as, um, and I think you're the most fit person that I know. So <laughs> now I understand why.
1: <laughs> and it's not, it's not CrossFit that I swear allegiance to. I think it's the philosophy of the fact that health is fitness plus luck. And you only have so much kind of like realism. You only have so much control over it, over your life and fitness. And so whatever you can do to help yourself because you're going to be a patient one day right? and you have to be in the condition to be able to handle anything. All right. Well, thanks for entertaining me, Dan, on um, my surprise topic.
0: (laughs) Uh You're, (laughs) You're welcome. I think, uh, um you know we're only starting to appreciate how um how powerful educating educators can be in healthcare um because I think it's only recently we've started to understand the the gap there and um and so I'm glad to talk about a topic that I think has great potential
1: Thanks for listening
0: Okay take care
1: DJ Simulationistas, sup, is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more about CMS and
0: learn about our simulation instructor training and course offerings at www.harvardmedicine.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.